What is up? And welcome back to Beyond the Arc with Brandon Silvers. As always, I am your host, Brandon Silvers. Man, so one of my favorite things to do since I got into this as a former athlete turned creative is talk to other former athletes turned creatives. Today, I got a great one for y'all from Walterboro. Now he's here in Charleston, an outstanding poet, former football player as well. It is an honor to be joined by Mr. Enlightenment. What's going on, bro? What's up, man? Appreciate you having me on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Growing up in Walterboro, which is just outside of Charleston, if y'all aren't familiar, what was it like? Did you consider yourself a creative then, or were you into other things at the time? Man, I was a big gamer. Like, it wasn't much to do, man. So summertime, I'm out playing sports, throwing the ball around. Uh, video game, like Nintendo was my jam back then. What were your so games? I spent all day trying to, like, beat Mario or play some Tecmo football. Uh, I was a big music guy. Like, <clears throat> I wasn't so much a a writer, but you know, when you listen to to hip hop enough, you want to try yourself. So, you know, I was a big music guy back when you had to go get the cassette. I had a little container with my cassettes in it. I read the Source magazine and check out which ones I wanted to get. So video games, music, just playing outside with friends. That's pretty much my childhood right there growing up in Walterboro. Who were some of your favorite musical artists? So when I grew up, so, you know, a guy from South Carolina, just watching like UMTV raps and Rap City, it was dominated by New York rap. So I was, that was my first, my first love of hip hop was like Wu-Tang, Jay-Z, all the uh, East Coast rap, heavy lyricists. Like that was what I grew up on. And then I started listening more to Down South later on, but I was, you couldn't tell me I wasn't like part of the Wu-Tang Clan back then. <laughs> Man, I do think that, that that probably did plant that seed there for the poetry. Cause I mean, like you said, they are known lyricists. Yeah, and I think if you listen to people, it's almost like when they say you want to be a good writer, you read other people. So I was like, mm, just soaking it up, just the way they put words together. So maybe that just kind of clicked with me. And I feel like I'm an overall creative guy. So I felt like me being able to put the words together, kind of following the blueprint they set. So I think that's what kind of inspired me to try to write my own stuff. And, you know, when you, you play sports and just being in the lunchroom, people rapping, locker room, going trips to the game, you know, everybody wanted to be a rapper at that point. So. Definitely. So you mentioned playing some football too in Walterboro as well. Did you think you were headed to the NFL or what, what was your ambitions around football? I mean, I wouldn't have mind going to the NFL, but then when I realized 5'10", guard, offensive guard, offensive tackle, it wasn't what they were looking for. So at that point, I was just, you know, I want to continue playing at the high school. So 
you know, I went to a D2 football uh, program and just kept it going. Play as long as I could. What are your some from some of your favorite memories of playing football? Particularly, I know you said you played high school, so you must have been you must have been even at five ten. You must have been someone to make it to D two. Yeah, man. Like I I was able to yeah I held my own out there and I played against some good people over the years. So uh, Walterboro High School, which is now Carlton County, uh, the program's a little down from what it used to be, but. You know, I made I won a state championship in my junior year. Okay. Yeah. Who was the best player who lined up against you who was like, oh man, we're like, not the same. <laughs> Albert Hainsworth. I don't know if you remember that guy, like the guy who stepped on somebody's head when he was playing <laughs> with the Titans, I think. And also when he got that big contract with the Redskins, well, the commanders, he reported like out of shape. So that was a big thing with him, like. This dude was like 6'6", 280, looked like a power forward, running down on kickoff. And I'm, you know, we watched film leading up to the game. He didn't really jump off the film at me. So I'm like, all right. But we get in the game, like, that dude is just super athletic, hard to stop him, man. He's already had the length of his reach advantage over me. It was something that we had to... You know, we run away from him. He run it down from side, like, just that quick. So, luckily, we was able to try to contain him. It was like, can't stop him. So, I was able to, you know, probably one of my worst games I ever played, but we end up beating this team in the championship. So, I mean, I got, I, I got me a few licks. I, I got me a few, a few good blocks on him that I, like, you know, indirectly, I think I pancaked him one time. People say he tripped up, but I'm gonna still take that as like I got an NFL player on the ground blocking. That's all you. I I I'm gonna spread that story for you about how you pancake Albert Hainsworth. Cause I think he ended up playing, he played college ball at Tennessee, didn't he? Tennessee, like he went to Tennessee, all very good, all at least all SEC. And then he went to the Tennessee Titans, uh, became a solid player, and then he got his big contract when he went to the commanders. And then his career kind of like fell off and he reported out of shape. That was a big headline. I was like, man, you paid me all those millions of dollars, man. What else? It's almost like Zion. Like you're getting paid all that money. Like you out of shape, man. Like what else are you going, what else is there to do? I'm going to get me a chef, get me a physical trainer. What else we can do? Like I'm going to go ahead and knock out my workout and then chill for the rest of the day. A thousand percent. I'll be there yeah. bright and early for that kind of money. For sure, man. You want me there? Whatever. Just tell me where to be. Definitely. So you went on from Pancake and Albert Hainsworth to Presbyterian College. Did you get to play a lot there, or or what was that like for you? Man, so even when I D two, I started to realize like we're not on TV, but there's some athletes that slip through the cracks. You know, just because you're not. You know, it was all about on the. It was all about the measurements. Like, you can be a baller. Like, you got people that people that make it through the height challenges. Like, you're not the prototypical lineman, prototypical quarterback. But even in D two, I played against some good guys. And then when I got there, I wasn't ready for the speed of the game. So, 
I was used to playing. So when I went to Presbyterian, I redshirted. So that was like, man, I'm not playing at all. Like I went from to the bottom of the totem pole and just trying to like figure it out. Yeah, that is tough. That's kind of the experience I had playing basketball at Newberry. And I showed up and they they redshirted me because I've weighed probably 110 pounds. Uh, no, it, it was, I was just so skinny. They're like, we got to put weight on you. And it was, I just couldn't really handle not playing for the first time in forever, basically. Yeah. And I about lost my mind. Yeah. I was telling like, you know, I was used to my family coming and watching me play. They were, you know, I was like, don't even come this year. It's not, don't even come to the game. I'm not even going to be playing. I didn't even dress out that many games. So I was like, yeah, there's no need to come check me out this year. Did you ever end up playing, getting on the field? Yeah, so it was a little bit of luck, a little bit of perfect timing. So I played offensive line predominantly in high school. And we ran the ball 90% of the time. So I was pretty good at blocking, pat or run blocking particularly. So because I was only 5'10", they decided, you know, because I played ta- in a running offense, the tackles don't have to be that, that long arm guy that's pat, uh, pass blocking. So they they had a plan for me. I was going to move to defensive tackle, which I played a little bit of, Defensive tackle, just because I was pretty athletic. They wanted me on the field sometimes, so I played a little bit of defense. So they had a plan for me, play defensive tackle. So first year, they had this defense where everybody ran to the ball. A lot of, you know, just swarming to the ball. Like, they were like, run, 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 run. I wasn't ready for it. Like, my my off-season conditioning program wasn't, <laughs> wasn't ready for that. So – it was a shock to me, just like how fast the game was and the speed between the plays. I was gassed and just I wasn't making the plays because I realized I'm better at keeping you from making the tackle than me making the tackle. So uh redshirted my first year. Second year, I backed up. Oh, I actually made it the second string, defensive tackle, but I only got probably like 10 plays a game. And then, uh, actually, a guy who went to Hilton Head High School, pretty big-time player, like another one of those guys, like he should have been D1, he ended up at D2 school. He got in trouble with the honor code at our school, got kicked out. So I went up, they moved me over to offensive line in the spring. And because his spot was not available, I kind of just, they threw me in there. I had the offensive line background, even though I went from 90% running in high school to 90% passing in college. So I just kind of had to figure it out on the way, but I just had a knack for blocking people, like staying in your way. That was just a that was better for me. Like shedding the block and finally, I could, I could beat my guy in front of me, but I would get so caught up in like pushing him back I would lose track of the running back. So it was just too much for me to shed the block, get off, make the tackle. I realized blocking was easier for me, and I kind of just picked up where I left off, and I got the starting job, and I started for three years. Wow. So to let people know, if you're not familiar with offensive linemen, 
even at D two level, what's the what's the like average height? Man, it varies. Like you have a five ten guy like me, and then you have a six five defensive end. Like so, I think some of those players who couldn't get in to a D one school because of grades or whatever, they'll end up at a D two school. So. It's almost like Steph Curry at Davidson. Like, now that we think about it, like, how did he end up at Davidson? It was because he was small. Like, he was as talented as anybody else. He just didn't fit the prototype of one of those bigger schools. So he ends up at Davidson. But then when you put him against the big time players, he shows how good he is. So it very like we had a quarterback. It fell through with him. I think he had a scholarship to go to Carolina or one of these other schools and something happened. He ended up at Presbyterian College and probably one of the best players, best quarterbacks I've ever played with or played against. He broke all kinds of records and he wasn't, if you look at him, he wasn't like chiseled or super fast. He reminded me like a Peyton Manning type, but he wasn't as tall, but he just knew the game, uh, made stuff happen. So we had some very good players that for whatever reason you you didn't quite make it at the D D one level, uh, maybe you weren't as fast, weren't as big, but we had you know I had my roommate was like six five from Atlanta. I was like, man, how'd you end up here? It was actually another dude that came to Presbyterian that went to North Charleston High School. I'm like, you just see him. It's like you you look like you're supposed to be somewhere else, but. It was a good, it was a good talent level, especially in our um division we had. Like we had some good talent, man. So I'm saying, like, for you, and five ten is a good regular person height, but right. to to be starting at tackle at five ten, you must have been balling. Well, is what I'm thinking. Move me to guard. A guard, okay. All right, but yeah, so it's you know you got those big divas, the nose guard, and all there. They're about my height anyway, maybe 6'2". They're not super tall, but I had the advantage anyway because I got, you know, low man wins. That's how it goes. When I'm shorter than you, I can get on the pads, so that helped me out too. That's what's up. So when does poetry kind of come into the mix for you? Because I don't think of, well, at least I didn't until recently. I don't think of like football and poetry going together. But then I talked to like Marcus Lattimore. He's into that now. He's really, really good poet accomplished out in Oregon. And it seems like just from the surface level, you've got like a violent game, especially you. You're you're in the trenches. Right. And one of my misconceptions about poetry was that kind of a like a, a softer thing. When did that come into the mix with you? And then did you have any of those misconceptions as well? I felt like the poetry that I read in high school and college, it was just, it was almost a different language. Like it wasn't interesting to me if I needed to be like almost translated. If I got to have the, the <laughs> professor had to like break it down for me. Like, that was making it so confusing. But when you think about it, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, the Shakespeare stuff and the, the modern poets that we had to read about, like, this, it wasn't relatable. I didn't understand it. Somebody had to, like, break it down for you. So that kind of, when you, even when I first started doing poetry and I tell people, I'm, I do poetry, you know, you want to come check it out? Like, 
I don't really like poetry. It's not my thing. So people got this misconception about what poetry is. And as I said, my musical background, just being appreciative of the lyrics that I heard, I wanted to write my own raps too. You know, if a teacher gives you an opportunity to write a rap, you know, instead of a report, or if you want to do a skit or something like that, some teachers, they allow you the little leeway, you know, how you want to present the information. Maybe you want to write a poem. So I've done that, just rapping with friends, you know, the bus trips, the locker room, at the lunch table. So I was in college, and as my I'm an elementary education major, so you had to have, like, a concentration. And I was a bit of a procrastinator, so I had to kind of figure it out on the fly. So I was looking at the, you know, I think lang I picked I picked language arts or language arts is kind of my focus, my minor, basically, you could say. So I started looking at the courses being offered. I'm thinking like, all right, mm, I don't want to do so much reading for this class. I got to take <laughs> several reading classes in one semester. So it's going to be a lot of reading. So I started picking some stuff like, oh, okay, creative writing poetry. I'm thinking, oh, poems, not poem. You don't write poems. Poems are not that long. We read poems; they're not that long. So, all right, I'm gonna take this one. So, I took a creative writing poetry class. So, in that class, we had to, as a part of our, I guess, our final little thing to turn in, we had to have our own portfolio of poems. So, I created this portfolio of poems, which ended up turning into a collection, a lot of the poems from that portfolio ended up in a collection of poems I put out probably five years later. Wow. So this was just like, I'm going to take the easiest class so I can so pass me, this. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is, in hindsight, like it wasn't necessarily easier, but it wasn't so much reading. I was like, you know, you get in those reading classes, like, for the next class, read these 50 pages and be able to discuss with class. I was like, I don't know if I can do that. So I'm thinking, if we do have to read so such amount of poems, it's going to be quick reads. So I was looking for kind of lighten my load. Yeah, we. I'm thinking back, like we said, it was it probably easier as far as all the reading involved. But it was challenging in its own way. I realized that too, but... I realized, all right, I can put some words together. I wasn't, me and the professor kind of bumped heads because he had a style of poetry. Mine was more, I'm more of a, I, and I say it, I'm more of a hip hop poet. And then you have the whole conversation about rap poetry. Is it the same? Is it different? Now that I think about it, it's really not that different. A poem and rap you add the musical uh, element to it. But if you break down, like, so Tupac, a lot of the Tupac book that he put out, um, a lot of these rappers are starting to put out uh, books and kind of breaking down their lyrics because I think another, uh, what is it? Start, some rappers are teaching um, classes in college now where they can just, will study your work. Like, yep. you're taking these lyrics from these rappers, like, you know, we didn't always take it seriously. Like, 
they don't get the same respect as a writer or poet because it's rap. But if you take take the music away from Nas, take the music away from Jay-Z, and just look at the words on paper, you'll be like, that's some that's some stuff there. Like it's good. That's that's in depth and thoughtful and like you said, um even the toughest guys, they have their moments of vulnerability and tap in. We don't always tap into it. You know, I might not want to tell it to you, but I can write it. So that was a that's an outlet for a lot of people. Like you said, you know, uh tough athlete, this and that. We're all dealing with certain things like journaling, writing poems. That becomes a way to kind of get it out, even if you didn't want to tell people. So I think we all have that side. We don't always address it, but yeah, I think even the toughest guys, they have their soft spots that they don't really bring up, but it's there. I think that's when it started to to kind of click for me it took a, a little while later through maturing where i was like okay you can actually just embrace this side but i was first introduced to poetry that i could relate to with that tupac uh book uh, i think it, a rose that grew from concrete yeah, yeah and then i was like well damn if tupac can write poems and uh, appreciate poetry and he he was tupac then who am i to not be able to be too much of a man was my thinking at the time to appreciate it. And then thankfully I've grown out of that and can appreciate all kinds of things now, but that is really when it was like, Oh, okay. I guess I can do this. It's okay to do this. You sometimes you need someone else to kind of show you like, yeah, you should actually be doing this. Yeah. And like the two part stuff that's coming out is crazy. How he's been dead for so long. And they just, the stuff, the layers of Tupac, like he was extreme, but then at the same time, like he's like this guy, like almost split personalities. Like you got the dear mamas, you got to hit him up. Like Brenda's got a baby. Like he got all of those sides to him. So it's it's there, you know. Just tapping into it, definitely. So how did you go from, okay, I'm going to put together this portfolio for this class to, all right, I'm going to start sharing these with people and seeing what they think. Okay. Um, so I graduated in 2004. I had those poems you know, back in the day on a floppy, floppy disk that I had them on a floppy disk. No, wasn't thinking much of it. I had a, breakup relationship issue that kind of re-sparked the creative process started writing about that and this was like facebook early on myspace they had places where you can put notes like you could type something and publish it and then people could read it it was almost like blogging almost so i wrote a poem put it up let people read it Start getting good feedback from it. <clears throat> uh, I had a mutual friend I went to college with. We both were musical, you know, dabbling some rap, just playing around back and forth. He introduced me to another guy who was helping poets put together their, you know, it's almost like a pamphlet of poems. Like you do it yourself, you get it straight to the consumer, 
Don't have to worry about going to a publisher or whatever. No scan, no barcode. We we just like hustling hand to hand, like a mixtape. Yeah, yeah, Master V out the trunk. You know, he's getting it to the people. So he offered me the opportunity to put together some poems, and you know, he would put them together for you. So I was like, all right, cool. Put it together, put it out, had some success with it. Just you know, feeling okay with sharing it. Like it took me a long time because. It's your thoughts, your ideas. You think it's good, and then you put it out there. Especially now, there's so much trolling. Like it's almost popular to say that's not good. So it's more unlikely for people to be like, "I like." Or you get you get like both sides. You got the people that's gonna always tell you it's good because they're your friends. You got the people that's trolling that's always gonna tell you it's bad. But then there's that people maybe you don't know they just happen to come across it they give you the constructive criticism so I got more positive than negative so it kind of gave me more confidence to share more and I put together that uh, collection of poems and started going out to open mics and just slowly becoming more open to everybody's not going to like it I'm putting it out there I liked it and it's like Eric Badu always said, like, I'm an artist. We sensitive about our work. So it takes a tough skin that I've slowly developed. Somebody saying, like, I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. I mean, that's your right. That's your right to have that opinion. But I, I've gotten better over the years about accepting that and just sharing my work. Do you remember the first time that happened when you got some criticism and you were like, ooh, that stung. Well, I'll tell you like this. When I was going to open mics, and you can kind of feel that when you're done with the poem, you know, some people get the, the roar, the big claps, and, you know, maybe because they're the hometown. You know, if you've been going to the open mic spot or you you play your guitar there every, every week, every month, people know you. So they're going to show you that love. But it's like when you don't get the same response when you finish your work as somebody else. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, like, what, what was wrong with it? What did they, what did they not like? So that's something that's kind of hard to deal with, too. Yeah, because it's not like playing a sport because no one's going to like politely clap in the middle of a game. Right. So that that would almost feel more insulting that they just outright booed in my mind. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like uh, when you finish your performance, either it's a standing ovation or you got the golf clap. So <laughs> yeah. you got to do with that. Like, man, you hope when you finish whatever you're doing, that you're going to get some kind of response. But then you, at the end of the night, I'll hear from one person or two people, like, yeah, hey, I like this stuff, man. This particular line, like, I was like, all right, cool. Everybody didn't like it, but that one or two people that appreciated what I said, I was able to be like, all right, well, somebody got it. Somebody liked it. So just keep going from there. And was that different than 
how you approach football? Because, I mean, playing sports is like constant. You're constantly getting feedback, and a lot of it's not good. Oh, yeah, I definitely definitely know that. Well, I don't know. I guess it's the same kind of thing, but the arts is different. We know the play is going to be this. I've been practicing this running play, this passing play. We got our plan in for the week. It's not as much surprises. We score. The end result, we get a first down, we score. Art is subjective. I can't, the referee can't be like, you know what? I don't think that was the first down. It's like, <laughs> we got 10 yards, though. So it's like, arts is more subjective. Sports, hey, uh, that was a three-pointer. No, it wasn't. Your foot was on the line. You stepped out. That was a foul. Like, we kind of know what it is. Like, it's not so much room for, you know, and then, well, we got our opinions about who's the GOAT or who's that. So that's where it gets a little bit. But as far as performance-wise, it's a little different. It's a little more cut and dry with sports. Yeah, and so that's why, like, I could toss off a bad game more than I can toss off like an episode that I feel like didn't hit. Like I, I think it should have hit because yeah. it feels so much more personal. And I'm like, man, cause you, you know, the recipe for, okay, next time when I play, I got to execute this, this, and this. And then you look at something you release into the world and you're like, man, I thought that was really good. I don't even know where to begin maybe they're crazy they're wrong so it's right. just this whole different process and it feels so much more personal and i didn't know that something would be able to feel more personal to me than than playing basketball so that was a very big surprise and so we got that similarities too because we are always our own worst critics so you might say man i messed up with this episode and then you get feedback like oh i love that episode yes you love the most is the one people didn't like so i was like i didn't think i did that well but then people oh i love that one i love that episode so we always going to find the mistakes more than the, the, the person who's listening we know the technical stuff the you know that those little nuances they might not be paying attention to Maybe another podcaster might pick it up, pick up on it. But the average listener is like, oh, I love that episode. Like, I love the conversation. I love what you did. <clears throat> and he was like, mm, I, I didn't think it was that good. So that's a great point. And so how did you work through that initial, like, okay, I'm sharing this. It's sometimes tough to get the golf claps to where now it doesn't bother you as much. Did you do anything other than just kind of repeated exposure to the same thing over and over? Just trying to be, uh, I started to pick my poems wiser. There's certain poems that are good for, like, let's say, I'm going to let you, this poem right here is better when you sit down and read it. There's also some better poems to do in front of people. So I started realizing, like, all right, let me write this poem because it'll get, it's a little more lively, a little more, I don't know. I guess the the, the words I'm using, are, they'll, they'll catch your ear more. So I started realizing like, 
there's certain poems that I do that like when I do an open mic or I do a set, I got a few poems that I know when I want to catch the, now, for example, if I got an extended set, if I'm doing like 10, 15 minutes, I can put a variety of poems in there. But if I got one or two poems that I can do, like this is going to make you either want to hear more from me or say it, you don't want to hear anything from me again. I got one or two poems that I need to do. Like this poem usually hits. It's like when you're a musician, you know, you want to do some new stuff the audience might not know, but when you want to when you want to kill it, you got this this song is what people like most of the time. So you keep that in mind, you kind of experiment what works in front of a crowd, what doesn't. You also got to look at the demographic. I got something that's a little more slang oriented, a little more hip hop influence. If my crowd is not going to get what I'm talking about. So to me, I like, this is a good poem, but to my audience, they won't understand it. Or if I'm doing something for younger people, you know, I got to like, all right, I think this, this poem might hit with the younger kids. This is uh, older, more contemporary poets who are going to be appreciating the, the techniques that I'm using. So it was like, where am I at? How long do I have? What audience do I have? Like that's the type of stuff I started thinking about. Can you make those adjustments? Like you walk into a venue and then you just look at the crowd. You're like, okay, this is the, I got to get with the the level 101 poem with these people here. Can you do that? Like when you walk in and you scout the, the venue beforehand or how does well, that process kinda, work? Yeah, you kind of know before you get there. But like I said, there's also some ones that I have that universal. I got some universal ones that hit regardless. But there are some that I wouldn't do certain places that I would do somewhere else. But yeah, I mean, I, I know some poets can do it. Now, let's say you got a heavy female audience. Maybe you got, maybe you pull out something different than you would if it's a mostly male audience. Um. Yeah, you can kind of make an adjustment on the fly, but I have a set of poems that I know that are usually interesting enough and they get the crowd attention. They get that, they'll get your ear when I do it. So just throughout doing open mics and performing in different places, kind of get an idea of where it is. So, you know, I just do a lot of networking. I talk to uh, promoters or Facebook, Instagram, whatever. You see, you got some of the, if it's a poetry reading, it's a little more chill. And then you got the spoken word crowd or the slam crowd. I don't necessarily do slam, but they're a little more, it's almost like, the traditional basketball, and you got and one. Yep. And one a little more flashy. You know, you're gonna do a little bit more. You might throw it behind my back, you know, stuff I wouldn't do with a traditional, like, oh, one coach is gonna pull you out. Nah, you don't drill behind your back, you don't throw it off the backboard, like, even though the crowd might love it. So if you got that kind of audience, like 
they like the traditional poems. Like there's certain crowds, like I know, I feel like I gotta come with something more traditional then. But then I'm over here, it's like pretty much anything goes. Good. No, definitely. And you touched on how like one of the catalysts for this was getting through a breakup, which is interesting because I know Marcus Lattimore, he started writing to kind of work through some negative feelings. Same with Trey Hill, who I talked to, some negative negative feelings he wrote to get through that. What do you think is do you think that's like a like a a masculine thing where maybe we're not so great at expressing ourselves, so we have to find these different outlets? Or what do you think is the the core of that? Because it seems to be such a, a useful tool for doing it. And I think it's in general, uh, I'll give make this music comparison. For example, Mary J. Blige, her best music that we love is when her life wasn't going so good. It was like, well, she had messed up relationships and stuff like that. Or Adele, when Adele's best songs were like, oh, you like, oh, Taylor Swift just broke up with her boyfriend. That next album is going to be fire. It's like when we have stuff going on in our lives, like that turns into great art. That's a great point because I don't think anyone's asking for like the Adele club hit. Nah, they're not. We want the ballad. We want the sadness. So she's in a good relationship now with, with Rich Paul, LeBron's agent. Yeah, so we, we might like, be waiting for some music. Yeah, we we don't we ain't really looking forward to that as much. But I mean it's good, but you know, those you got I guess it's the most the most honest when you're going through something. I mean, I could write about I got a I kinda got the ability to kind of like, let's say me and you had a conversation or whatever, like the biggest trending topic. Sometimes I just try to touch on a subject that's big right now, put myself in the shoes of something or someone. But when it's really like, hmm, I, I try to, so my poem, my poetry is like lighthearted for the most part. Like I got my breakup stuff, but then I, I'll hear some other people like, they get into the trauma, the childhood trauma, like it gets deep out there in the poetry world. And I was like, I need to be more, per like I feel like, I still don't write as personal stuff as I need to. I don't know if I got to do it, but I feel like it's there if I tap into it. But I usually try to stay lighthearted. Like, I don't want you to be depressed after you hear my poem. I usually, you're going to crack a smile. You're going to might laugh a little bit at my wordplay. But I'm usually upbeat about my poems. But I do got some stuff that's even... Even even with a bad situation, I still find a lighthearted way to go about it. I'll have some kind of clever um, metaphor or something in there, but that's just me. Like I'm just a, I'm an upbeat person myself. So even if I got something going on, my my poem about it is more like half full so but yeah i i've done you know over the years i had some 
friends that passed away, family members, family, family members that passed away. And I wrote poems about that. And I usually kind of go with some of the lighthearted stuff, like bring out the good times that we had, stuff like that. So that's just me in general. And I will say too, we talked about the difference between like the the Shakespearean type poems and how you need a translator. One thing I like about your stuff is you have like a lot of pop pop culture references and a lot of sports references too. Yeah, yeah, I did realize that because the average guy, if you think about these poetry crowds and poetry events, we got some guys that go because they know the women like it. I know the women gonna be there and I wanna go. Or I'm taking my wife, girlfriend on a date but when I look at the breakdown of my social media, you know, you can get into the, the demographic of who checks it out and who's your followers in this, predominantly women. So I was like, I want to get, let's say, for example, I'm out and about, I'm promoting myself. I was like, hey, Brandon, I like poetry. Or I write poetry. You might say, nah, it's not my thing. But if I got some poems that are similar to a rap that you would like. If you like rap, I feel like you would like my poems. And guys, for example, if I can throw in a sports reference to catch that ear, like, oh, whoa, I, I, I caught that. Like, you, you start looking in the crowd and then you can see, like, this is what I anticipated a reaction. Now, if I throw something about basketball in a poem, you get it, or you like sports, you'll get it, but somebody else might not understand what I was trying to say at all. So I'm trying to make it as digestible as possible. I want, well, and the thing I love about poetry still, you caught that one sports reference. She might have caught this other thing I said. She liked the poem, you like the poem. It's so many layers of it like i'll write a poem or you know i do a lot of those short poems and stuff and then i'll ask somebody that likes it or whatever i'll ask them and like they're you know i'll message them inbox them what'd you think about this what was your interpretation of it sometimes it's similar to what i wanted it to be and sometimes it's like oh i didn't even think about it like that I'm glad you said that because I wasn't writing it that way, but that's how you took it. So the interpretation part and just the discussion and the poems, I like that part too. But I don't, I want to make it where even surface level, you can get something, but then you can also dig deeper into it and get something else. That's exactly what I try to do here. I hope I pull it off as well as, as you pull it off in the poems. So we got to talk about the name Mr. Enlightenment. What, where did that come from? So when you try to think of a poetry name or a stage name or whatever, you know, you can go with your government name or you can try to come up with some nickname. Um, I'm a teacher also. So that kind of made me think about that aspect of it. Um, I was thinking I'm giving information, so enlightened, giving information, 
light bulb moment when you give an idea or when that kid and you're in class and you finally understand what that teacher was talking about or you finally get something. So I was like, Mr. Enlightenment, like that's pretty much what I do. That's what's up. So do you find that that being a teacher has helped you as a poet or vice versa? It's given me some, I guess, some uh, material to tackle, but I feel like they're kind of different, but it's still, I'm able to sit in front of people and get their attention for the most part. I'm able to kind of get you to understand something. So I guess the way I deliver something may have helped me over the years. I'll get in front of people. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm nervous like that. I guess it kind of helped my public speaking too. So I'm getting in front of kids. And if you can talk to somebody who really doesn't really care too much about what you're saying and still get their attention, then I think it helps that too. But they're still different animals. And kids are, they can be ruthless too. That can be a very, very tough crowd. Yeah, they're like they're, <laughs> they're not interested in it for the most part, but then it does allow me to kind of bring it out. So I get that. I feel how they felt because when we read a story in class, I like to try to bring out the stuff that they might connect to. So you're still trying to connect with the audience at the same time, but I'm using materials that I've already been given versus coming up with them on my own. What drew you to teaching? It was like, okay, so my dad had a landscaping company growing up. He's just hustling, guy hustling. Like he had a factory job and then he got a factory job and then he cut grass and I would help him on the weekends. I would help him on the summers. He started just, we had a conversation just like riding around, going from yard to yard, place to place. And he was like, you don't want to do this kind of, I don't think you want to do this backbreaking type of work your whole life. So he did work for educators, principals. It was like, he started giving me the, the game from a different aspect, like, you know, you don't have to come home and be exhausted or like physically dirty when you come home. Uh, the retirement, the the hours. I was like, all right, cool. Then I think about it. So the the fall after that summer, we had a talk. I took introduction to education, so I took the first class. I did well in it. I was like, because I was pretty much, I didn't know what, I majored in football for at least a couple years. Like, <laughs> I was undecided. I was like, man, what do I want to do? I think I want to do computer science because that was a hot topic back then. I was like, mm, I'm not the best with that. So let me try this education class. It worked out. I took another one. And I was like, all right, it's actually something that I was pretty good at because, you know, you got to come up with your lesson plans and you're able to be creative. That's the thing about teaching I like too. 
you don't have to do it the same way somebody else does it. So your lesson doesn't have to be like another teacher's lesson. The end result is what we're looking for. So I don't have to teach it exactly like you teach it, but we can still get to the same result. So that's what I enjoy. And the schedule is lovely, as you can see. Uh, summer vacation. Uh, the, the day goes by pretty quickly, so I can't say it's boring at all. It's always an adventure going on. So it was just conversations with my dad and made me try something. Man, you've been doing it a while, so it must have been a pretty good conversation. Like, it worked out, man, because I get to interact with kids. I get to go outside of recess. Like, I'm out there playing kickball, <laughs> basketball. Uh, I'm reading language arts was my best subject in coming up. So in, in high school, College, I went through a little bit of transition where I wasn't the best student, but high school, middle school, like I, I was always, you know, I could write a paper and talk about certain topics. So my writing, my creativity was always something that was that was there. So I could use that in teaching also. And I get to teach the subject that I like. So it helps to be able to, it helps to teach the subject that you're, that you're interested in or, or you're good at. No, I can only imagine like if I had to go teach math, which I don't like, right. There would be a, a big, big problem. Uh, so you talked about how you were creative when you were in school. Did anyone try to like steer you in the direction of more creative fields or were they just like, all right, you're good. Because in my experience, I was a good writer in school too. And so what was suggested to me was you need to be a lawyer, which sounded awful to me. Right. Or they'd be like, okay, you're good at talking. So you need to go into sales, which I tried and I didn't like. And it seems like in society, when people make these suggestions, they'll send you towards what can make you the most money versus what might be best for you, like passion wise? Is have you found that to be true in your experience? Well, nobody actually. Get, it was until college, in in one of my English classes, that one of my teachers told me that I should probably look into being an English major. Because when I wrote a paper, she said the way I kind of conveyed the message was like one of the best in the class. So she said that I should probably keep going with this maybe as a possible major, but I don't like writing papers like that. So it was almost the best of both worlds. Like I could still continue with some of the skills that she said I had in teaching, but I was just that quiet kid. Like they knew I was a good student and I'll just go with the flow. I didn't cause any problems. They, nobody really kind of steered me one way or the other. They just said, I know my dad was all about, you know, you need to do something. He was all about do something that is going to pay well. Like his thing was that. So I know I kind of dabbled in some different classes along the way. He wasn't exactly thrilled about it. I think I did like, what was it? Mechanical engineering where you were like doing blueprints and stuff. And like, he's more like, why don't you get you a trade? Like, 
masonry or something like that. I was like, I'm not, that's not my interest. Like I'm not a handyman at all. So that wasn't, that wasn't my thing. So other than that, my dad's like, when you do something, just stick to it. Like it wasn't really like you should do this and you should do that. Just do your best. And he wanted me to do something that was going to be financially stable, but he didn't really push me in one way or the other. And poetry, teaching's your main job, but you do poetry. So how's your dad feel about, about the poetry? My dad, like, he, I don't really talk to him much about it. Like, he's heard through, like, other people about what I do. But my dad, he's, he's, a, he's an old school old guy. School. It's work, 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 not too much. I wouldn't see him as a person that would be at a poetry show. So I have talked to him about stuff like the teach, he like, how's teaching this year and this and that. But as far as my poetry stuff, he knows I do it, but it's not exactly his thing. Not his thing yet. There's still time. Uh, so maybe. But you've released written poetry books and albums. What is the thought process? Because I know you, you kind of shifted to more albums. What's the thought process behind that? So... Just going to open mics over the years, I started seeing people weren't avid readers. And I've heard from people that, oh, I don't want to read the poem. I want to hear you. I, I like the way I like to hear you do it. And then I started seeing like when like a traveling poet comes through town or the featured poet, and they start doing, they'll bring people from out of town or people will be basically this is how I'm making my living. I'm going from venue to venue, bringing my products. I would always see the poets with a CD. So I said, all right. Every poet that I just uh, big to me is like, they're doing this. They, they have a name for themselves. They're going city to city, venue to venue. They have a, most people had a CD instead of a book. So that's what they were uh, selling after the show. So I was like, all right, well, let me try to record some stuff. And I fell in love with recording. I love recording it. And then I got the, I like to put a, a music accompany with the um, poem. So it's kind of, it makes it easier to ride in your car. Like, this actually sounds pretty good. Like, I don't want I want to be able to be put in a playlist. I don't want to have to be like interrupting a playlist. Like, you know, if you got a playlist and you're jamming, jamming some hip hop or some Lupe fiasco, and then you get this poem with no music, and you might want to skip it because it's gonna mess up your uh, your vibe. So now I got poems that I think can fit in a playlist. You know, maybe you got the RB Neo Soul playlist. You could throw one of my poems in there and it'll still like fit. Or you could be riding on a road trip and listen to it. So I wanted to kind of follow the music formula with my poetry. Cause I feel like the lyrics, 
the delivery I have is very hip hop influenced. So I figured there's a lane for that, especially with everybody streaming, because we all and then the CDs became obsolete. So I used I I print I printed up a lot of CDs from my when I hey I got a CD I'm selling a CD. People are like nah I don't have a CD player. So streaming especially making your playlist. I tell you uh, this is my album. Look me up, Mister Enlightenment on whatever streaming platform you like, and you can find something. That's what's up. And you've worked with some some pretty well-known local producers for those beats you're talking about too, right? I did reach out. Like, there's a few people around town that I did, and then I got some from all over just using using social media. I got a beat from a guy on Twitter. You know, there's so many uh, upcoming producers. They put their music on these sites, and you just go. And matter of fact, people hit me up. You know, I guess they see your page, and they'll – send me some like a sample of their beats and then I bought some from guys like that. You know, I'm not trying to get the thousand dollar beats, but if I can pay fifty dollars here or something like that, I was like, all right, I got a little budget. <laughs> I got I'm not doing like I'm not going for the Pharrell beat, but I'll like whoever's around making some good music, I'll check it out. You know, I gotta I can't be on rapping. I can't do my poetry over the trap beats like now. So I want something a little smoother, a little R&B. I usually go for the, the R&B style beats or some like a soul beat. I like something that's smooth where I can just deliver the poem. I don't want to rap it. It's like, I'm almost rap cousin right now. Like I'm saying, I got the wordplay of a rapper, but the delivery of a poet. That's what's up. And if you want to see it for yourself, I know you got a show coming up August 5th, I believe. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah. So I kind of got a little brand going right now. So if you see me on social media, I got light sayings all through. Um, I call it the light show. So my poetry event that I've thrown in different places in town it's called The Light Show. So I have a lineup of poets and I'm going to be the feature poet. So basically I'm giving you uh, 15 minutes of my poetry because that's what I realized when I was doing open mics and then I invite people to come see me. If you're not necessarily the biggest fan of poetry, you're just wanting to come support a friend. I'm only five minutes. I can only do like two poems, five minutes. So I don't want you to feel like now, now what am I going to do for the rest of the time I'm here? I just came to see you. So with me organizing my own event, I can give you a chance to hear several poems from me, also a variety of other styles from different poets that I just met over the years and networked with. So it's called The Light Show, August 5th at Hob Car Brewing Company. That's in Mount Pleasant on Long Point Road. I think it's 496 Long Point Road. Poetry starts at 7. Uh, there's going to be craft beers there, a local food truck. I'll have some 
some mood music at first while you just um socializing, meeting some new people. I try to show love to the venue, but the poetry starts at seven. So it'll be our show. It's called a light show, August 5th. Come on, check us out. Definitely. That's going to be in the show notes as well as everything else that you do. So plug everything else other than I know you got the, the shirt on right now. You do all kinds of stuff. Where else can everyone find you? So social media, Instagram, at Kilowatt Poet. So as in the light bulb, K-I-L-O-W-A-T-T-P-O-E-T, Kilowatt Poet. That's where I do a lot of my posting. I do have a Facebook, uh, facebook.com backslash past the light. So that's my Mr. Enlightenment page on Facebook. But I do a lot of my posting on Instagram. Just trying to get into TikTok, not as much, but I do have some videos on there. YouTube page, Mr. Enlightenment, search me up. Um, I'm about to launch my online store. So I've been just selling my t-shirts through inboxing and all. I got a couple uh clever phrases that I have on my shirts. Normally you'll see me at the show wearing them, you know, hats, beanies, t-shirts. I got stickers, wristbands, all kind of promo items. But hit me up on social media and then you know, we'll make something happen. If you like something, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Mr. Enlightenment, check me out on there. Got two spoken word albums and I got two singles. So I'm out there in these internet streets. Definitely. Like I said, going to be in the show notes. Check his stuff out because it is very, very, you can see the hip hop influence in the work, which is appealing to me. And if you think you don't like poetry, I would recommend give it a shot. I think it could be for you. You might be surprised. It's not like Shakespeare, like we were saying. Yeah, yeah. So I'm more I'm more Sean Carter than Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, what what more? What are you waiting for? Check it out. Check it out. All right, man. Well, this has been incredible, man. I've had a blast talking to you and learning about your story and your journey and your poetry. So by all means, you're welcome back on anytime. Please go check this man out in person and buy some stuff as well, because we need more local artists. We need to support more local black artists in particular. So that will do it. You got anything else to say? Are we good? Yeah, man. Like I remember, I remember we met at another event downtown, I was like, hey, man, I want to do something with you. We finally make it happen, man. So networking, shout out to the networking. Like, people go out there to events and meet some people, and you never know how y'all can help each other out. So I'm all about That's what I love about social media. People say it's so the negative stuff about it, but it brings people that like-minded individuals together. So I'm all about it. I enjoyed the conversation. Blue holes way better than um what what are y'all now Newberry is the, the wolves. I'm gonna have to wolves. agree with you too because I I transferred out so I'm I'm with okay. you. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah. So that connection right there, but I appreciate it, man. Um, hopefully we uh do some more. I'll definitely enjoy uh coming back again. 
Definitely, man. Definitely. All right. That has been another episode of Beyond the Art with Brandon Silvers. And I will catch y'all next week. <laughs>